The story is told of three sons who loved their mother dearly. All of these three sons had seen their mother slave for them and sacrifice for them over the years. And after they had been raised, they all went out on their own and they were very successful. They always had a great deep respect for their mother. And as she got older, they got together before one Mother's Day and they decided that they each wanted to give them a give her a special gift, one that we really went above and beyond. The first son said, I'm going to have a he was a successful contractor, said I'm going to build her a, a huge mansion, a, a, a palatial palace. It would be just lovely. Set it on top of a hill. Be absolutely gorgeous. She'll love it. Second son was uh, owned a bunch of car dealerships and said, I'm going to get her the latest uh, Mercedes Benz. It will be the top of the line. And. Um, she will, I'm even going to hire her a driver so that she'll never even have to, to drive it. She'll just be able to ride around in luxury all the time. The third son said, well, what I'm going to do is something extra special. So they all went their separate ways and they came back was that morning of the Mother's Day. And the first son had the, the keys to the palatial palace, walked in and showed her around and she was just amazed. The second son handed her the car and uh, the driver and introduced the driver to her, and she, and she was just even more astounded. The third son uh, had a parrot, and uh, the mother thought this was kind of unusual, as did the other two sons. He said, well, I'll explain later. Well, uh, sometime later, the boys got together, and uh, first Son said, man, I think mom likes my gift the best. And the second son, no, nah, she surely likes uh, riding around in luxury. And the third son said, just wait, guys. This parrot, you're not even going to believe it. You know how our mother loves the word of God. Well, I found uh, this parrot and I had him specially trained to memorize the entire Bible. It took ten monks, ten years in a monastery training this bird I had to pay them $100,000 every year, and but the bird knows it. I mean, all she'll have to say is Genesis 1-1, and that parrot will squawk, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whop. Well, the other sons surely thought they had been beaten. They all went to mom's house and said, Mom, how do you like those gifts? Well, she said, that house, it's lovely, but... I, you know, it's so large and I have to clean all the rooms and I really only live in one. The second son, well, said, Mom, what about my gift? Don't you like that fancy car? She said, you know, son, I never go anywhere. I don't have any place to go. And I feel so ridiculous all dudded up in that luxurious car. I appreciate the thought, but it's just not so, so great. And the third son, man, at this point, he's just wondering what mom's going to say. But he says, Mom, what did you think of my gift? She says, Oh, son. Oh, that was wonderful. That was the most delicious chicken I've ever had. <laughs> well, sometimes we try to give good gifts to our mothers and they don't compare to everything that they've given to us. This year we are talking about walking worthy of your calling. And our theme verse for the year is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which you should know by now. 
where Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We started out in a series talking about my personal calling, where Steve looked at that and what the Bible has to say about that. And then we moved in to a series that I did talking about the body of Christ and who we're called to be as a body. Currently, we are in this uh, series called Calling All Families, where this is going to be a four-lesson series. Steve's already done the first two, talking about grandparents and the calling of spouses. And today, I'm starting the second half of that, talk, today talking about calling that the parents have, and then finishing out next week with the calling that children have. So we are excited. Uh, we believe this will be a very beneficial series for Northside in helping you all to understand what your calling is, not just individually, not just with your spiritual family, but with your immediate family. As we think about all of the things that mothers do for us, we have to widen that scope just a little bit and think, all of the things that moms and dads are called to do within Scripture. And there's a, a lot of things. But I'm going to boil it down this morning into one thing. And uh, I think this next video ex uh, shows that rather well. Oops. Try it again here. Scripture tells us of all of the things that it commands and teaches and reminds parents to do, it can be boiled down to three simple words. Train your children. Now, if you watch that commercial and you got the idea that if I'm not a good mom unless my child is becoming a world-class athlete, you got the wrong message. 
Now, of course, sports moms love that commercial, but all moms ought to love that commercial because that's what motherhood, indeed, that's what fatherhood is all about. Training our children from the time they're very young through the stumbles, through the hurts, through the pains, through the trips and the falls until they become successful. Ah, successful. That's the question. How do we define successful? The Bible says we do that when we train our children. Let's talk about the first word for a second. Now, speaking to Olympic athletes, the idea of training is very clear. Training is not accidental. Whether you're going with a personal trainer or whether you're a team on an athlete and you're being trained, that is done intentionally, step by step. With a specific goal or objective in mind. This is not haphazardly. A coach doesn't train you just by saying, well, I'm not really sure what we'll do today. No, a coach has in mind to make you bigger and faster and better and stronger, or at least a good coach should. If you're in your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The apostle writing there to children and parents, he says, fathers, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, today's world, there's a lot of competition for parents. Uh, Moms can get nervous when they check Pinterest or Facebook and see all the other good things their other people's children are doing or that other moms are doing. And they can get discouraged and downtrodden. You only need to read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, which says there is one job. For fathers and mothers, and that is to train your children in the instruction and the uh, bring them up in the training in the instruction of the Lord. Secondly, we want to talk, uh, think for a second here about training your children. Training your children is super important. Your children are yours. Well, really, they belong to God, and you're a steward of those children for a time. But what I'm focusing on here is I was the best parent you'd ever seen before I had any children. I had all the answers. And then I had one child. Now I have two child. And sometimes I get a little haughtiness. And I say, you know, if those parents only did this or if those parents only did that, God forgive me and God forgive you if we've ever had that attitude. Those children are not yours to steward. They have been given unique gifts and personalities and skills that God said, I want these parents to train them. You're not uh, supposed to train someone else's child, and that's a lot easier to do. You are to train your children, the children that God has blessed you with. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. The, the word there, accord, uh, the, to the way he should go, means according to his bent, according to her nature. What it's saying there is that children have a, well, you know this if you've had more than one child. How different and unique that they are. And, and God says he wants you to train them according to that way. What works for your oldest child will not work for your middle child and sure won't work on your baby child. Nothing works on the babies. So how do we know? How do we know the way in which we should go? Well, uh, the helpful thing is to listen, to ask good questions and to pray to God. God, what is your will for this child who you own, but you have given to me to steward? 
That's a wonderful, prayerful attitude that we should have. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, uh, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created your children with a unique purpose. And he, I'm convinced that you are the parent who knows how to parent that child. So don't step into someone else's role. You let that parent do that. It does not, I'm sorry, as presidential candidates might be prone to saying, it does not take a village to raise a child. According to scripture, it takes mom and dad raising a child. Now, can the village help? Absolutely. Can a village encourage? Sure. I mean, that's in a sense of kind of what we are. We help, we encourage, we train, we, we do everything that we can. But the primary responsibility re, uh, belongs to mom and dad to whom the children belong. So we must not forget that. <clears throat> uh, let's go to the last point in that we need to talk. remember that as we train them, we ought to not forget that they are Children. Psalm chapter 127, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. The scripture there says, sons are a heritage from the Lord. And it's not being biased there. We're just talking in general about children. Children are a reward from him, scripture says. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. God reminds us through the psalmist that children are a blessing. So you ought to enjoy your children while they're children. There's a a wonderful country song that says, let them be little. Let them cry, let them giggle, let them sleep in the middle. There will come a time when they are not little. Let them be little. We have a picture, a family picture in our home at our, uh, on the wall beside our dining room table. Uh, surrounding that family picture are the wor- these words. We, as parents, try to teach our children about life. And our children, in turn, teach us what life is all about. There are many times when I'm busy and I'm thinking about something else and, and Tyler wants to play with Legos or Grace wants to play with tea sets. Or someone wants to build a fort or someone wants to go outside and jump on the trampoline. I should stop more and do those things because they won't be children forever. Jesus' disciples tried to rebuke some parents one time because they let their children bother the rabbi. And the rabbi said, let them come. Such is the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So don't forget that they are little and that they are uh, only little for a little while and that they are a blessing. So when we talk about training your children, we want to talk about five specific things that are useful. Now, this list could have been much longer, okay? But I think um, I just boiled it down to what time will allow for and for what I think is of the utmost importance. Psalm chapter 78 verse 4 says... 
We will not conceal them from our children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Children, if you are a child from age five to age 18, I I want to ask you to to uh, stand up for just a moment. Stay where you are. Just stand up. Eight, children ages 5 to 18. I'm going to charge you this morning. I'm going to give you some homework. Because I'm going to tell your parents something. And I want you to call them on it. Your, your parents ought to be training you about God. So here's the homework for you. Okay, I know you don't usually get homework in church. But today, I want you to ask your parents this question. Mom, Dad, how has God worked in your life? How has God worked in your life? And all you have to do then is just zip your lip and let them be awkward. But that's our role as parents. Now you may sit down. Our role is to tell the next generation. I know, parents, you are going to train your children in many things. We have to. We have to train them in manners. We have to train them how to walk, how to talk. We potty train them. We train them on bicycles. We train them how to throw a ball. We train them how to change a tire, how to hunt, how to fish, how to restore a car, how to make friends, how to wear makeup, how to drive, how to dress. But of all the things that you train your children in, the first Must be about the Lord. Psalm 139 says. Before I was you. I was created. You knew me in the womb. God knew your children before you knew your children. Fathers, if you have a daughter, you've probably had this thought in your mind that how much you love your daughter and how much you enjoy her and how much joy she brings to your life. But you probably had a thought that someday there will be a young man who will claim to love your daughter. And you'll have the the exact equal and opposite thought. Oh, yeah, buddy, I was there first. Well, God has the same feeling toward our children. We think that they're ours. We, We sort of take on control that they're ours to mold and shape into whatever we didn't get to do when we were younger. They're ours to mold and control and and change the world and do the things that we didn't do. But those children really belong to the Lord. And your responsibility as a parent is to train them about God, to talk about God, to bring him into every part and facet of your Life, Or if you miss out on that, then you've missed out on the best training opportunity of all. I've often thought in the story of Hannah. Remember the story of Hannah? She was the mother of the prophet Samuel. And she didn't originally intend to have children. She was barren, but she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And the reason she named her little boy Samuel, because it meant Because I've asked the Lord for him. And she prayed and she prayed and the priest said, go, may God grant you as you have asked. Mother's Day can be hard because some of you have lost children. Some of you aren't able to have children. We don't mean to be insensitive. And I want to encourage you to do as Hannah did. But how could then Hannah do what she did? After she had Samuel, after the child was weaned, scripture says, she took him on a walk to the temple. Now she didn't just take him to church. She took him to church and she left him there. Eli was like the first youth minister. 
She left him there. How could she leave him there? She had prayed and prayed and asked God for this child. Do you know why she could leave him there? Because she understood fundamentally that the Samuel, the little boy, did not belong to her, but belonged to the Lord. And as hard as it was for that mother's heart to leave her son there at the altar, she knew principally what we must learn as parents, that we are only stewards. We are the stewards of God's garden, if you want to put it that way. He gives us the seeds. We weed, we plant, we water, we nurture, and we do the very best to make them fruitful. Number two, we need to train our children with discipline. Now, discipline is not just about spanking. That's part of it. That's part of discipline. But you ought to be disciplining your children at all ages and stages. A parent is not designed to be a pal. Children have lots of pals, but only two parents. And if you renege on your responsibility to train and to discipline them, the word there, discipline, the root word is disciple, which is a student, a learner, a follower. See, they, and they're supposed to study from you. They're supposed to learn from you. You are their best teacher and they will follow your example. The scriptures tell us, if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17, <clears throat> discipline. Your son, and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. No parent loves discipline, and that just makes you human. And it's easy to let discipline slide. But let me tell you, you will discipline your children now, or someone else will discipline them later. Don't break your heart and don't break God's heart by failing to discipline when it is your time to do it. Anyone recognize this mother? Raise your hand if this would have been your mother. Now, <laughs> this is a good picture, okay? In that she's disciplining her child. It's a bad thing in that she's disciplining her child far too late in life. But at least she's doing it. The second thing I observe is she's doing it by herself. And God forgive us men when we have shirked our duties as fathers to teach our children, to discipline our children, to train our children. When mothers bring their children to church by themselves, God forgive us. We have shirked our duties. Parenting is designed to be a team sport. Now, understand for just a minute, I was raised for most of my childhood by a single mom. I am not dissing single moms here because I think all single moms would, dis would agree with me that it is hard work when you, are when you are not only bringing the bread home, but you're fixing the bread too. And a church needs to be supportive and helpful and graceful to single parents. But parenting is designed to be a single sport, uh, uh, team sport, sorry. Uh, and so do it together. Dads, if you're in there watching your iPhone and you hear mom trying to gather, go help her. If your idea of church Sunday morning is putting on your good clothes and going into the car and honking the horn for 15 minutes, help her. You're in it together as a team, so train them together. Number three, train your children through encouragement. Colossians chapter 3, 
verse 21, the scripture says, fathers, chapter 3, verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will be dis- become discouraged. I find it interesting that there's two specific verses that talk about parenting and addresses fathers and it, and it gets this idea of don't discourage your child. I think there's something there for us. Don't discourage. That doesn't mean you won't upset them. That doesn't mean you won't make decisions that won't make them unhappy. But do your best to encourage as you train. Do your best to be a good finder. I will never forget, it was a Sunday evening at Northside. Lewis Tandy was preaching. I don't remember the message that he preached that night. What I remember is what happened beforehand. You see, the, the teen section was packed. And I'll just have to come down here. I'm sorry, camera operators. Uh, the, it was packed all the way to this row. I mean, it was packed all the way back. And what happened was a teenager, a young lady, came in late. And she's coming down. Now, she's in the middle row, right? And she's realizing that there's no place to sit. They are just packed to the gills. And so she's walking forward, and she's too far forward now to leave. She's walking forward and walking forward. It comes to one realization. There's only one place for her to sit, and that is on the dreaded front row. So she sits there, and it wasn't three, four, five seconds before two other young ladies saw the situation, didn't think about it, just got up from their comfortable position and came and sat down right beside her on the dreaded front row. Now, here's Lewis Tandy. He's watching all this, just like all of you were probably. And he gets up, and he says, Now, I just want to point out what we've all just witnessed here. I want to commend the young ladies for their exceptional behavior, for befriending someone who is all alone. That's the way Christians ought to be. See, he was encouraging them. That encouragement didn't just encourage them. It encouraged me. I'm telling you about it years later. Parents ought to be that way. It's easy for us to nitpick and tell our kids all the things that they do wrong, complain about the, the messy room and all the things that they haven't done. But stop. And try to take the moment and encourage your children. And if I can go one step further, don't focus on the outward characteristics. Don't just tell your daughter she's beautiful, though beautiful she is. Admire her character. Admire who she is as a woman of honesty and integrity. When they do something good, admire their inward strengths. Find, be a good finder. Don't be a discourager and a demoralizer. Someone who constantly criticizes. Because when you are encouraging them, you are building a relationship. And the relationship must be foundational for you to establish the rules. I, I don't know who said it. I tried to track it down. But someone said, and I believe it's true, that if you have rules without relationship... All that's going to lead to is rebellion. You've got to have the relationship. And when you have that, you'll have the rules. And then you have the ability to make the calls that they don't want you to make. To say the things that they don't want to hear. Number four, train your children to be wise. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Parents, we are facing 
a new challenge in parenting that parents before us have never faced before. Digital technology, social media. How do we navigate those waters? I do not have all the answers. I'm still navigating those waters myself. But I believe the key is to teach our children to be wise. To, let, to help them understand the difference between good and evil. There's a couple of approaches to parenting. One is kind of the helicopter hover parent. We just never let the child out of our sight. We just, we just hover over them everywhere they go. As long as we're there, we're hovering. They cannot leave us. And we're there. And that's wonderful and fine until the day, which will come, when you can't hover. I mean, that child may be 50 years old. You may be on your deathbed. But all of a sudden, they come outside of, the, of, of being protected from everything evil, from being insulated from everything bad. They haven't been taught a thing. And now they don't know how to make those choices. Most often it happens when they leave the house and they go to college. Oh, so we'll just college them at home. Okay. Well, listen, you can't protect them forever. You've got to teach them. You've got to train them to be wise, to distinguish between good and evil. I don't know if Albert Brinsing remembers this, but when I was like Tyler was months old, I was asking all the parents I knew good parenting advice. And Albert and Treva, I think, are, are great parents. And I asked Albert, you know, for some advice, because his kids were in the youth group at the time. And they were just wonderful men and women of character, people that uh, respected by their peers and by other adults. I said, how do you train them in a world so full of evil? Albert said, I, I kind of treat it like a vaccination, which I thought was weird advice. He said, when you uh, take your... Your son, you're going to take him to the doctor's office for the next couple of years, and you'll take him in and give him a shot. And that shot is actually infecting him with a sickness, with a disease, with a virus. It's a weakened strain, but the purpose of that is to put that in the body, and the body goes, aha, something bad, and they quickly jump on it and attack it. So that the body recognizes the difference between the things that should be there and the things that shouldn't. He said, our children certainly see lots of evil and hear lots of evil at school. And what we try to do is allow them enough exposure to that and then walk with them and teach them and train them the difference between good language and bad language, the difference between good entertainment and bad entertainment. I've kept that with me. I thought that was very good. Vaccinate your children, not just literally, but, you know, as you go along, train them to know the difference between good and evil. This illustration I got from Dave Ramsey. I'm going to need some help. Austin, can you come up here? Uh, Dave Ramsey actually used this technique with his daughter, Rachel, and she tells the story, stand right here, buddy, that as he was raising their children, they had to balance this idea of being overly protective and not letting their children doing anything and being, you know, the type of parents who just like fly at your old, be free, raise yourself. Best of luck to you. They wanted to find a balance between those things. And so the metaphor that they used in their family was that of a rope. And the rope represented the relationship of Dave and his wife, Sharon, to their children. And so you hold one in, Austin. And he would say to their children, now, when you're very young, I have the rope very short. And we just go everywhere together. 
and I have you on a very short rope. But as they got to be tweens and teens and they got older, they would say, now we're going to give you a little more rope. And give them, with a little more rope, came more freedom, more uh, privileges. And so if they misused those freedom and privileges, whoop, back came the rope. Rachel tells a story that she was going to a, a party. Uh, I'm sorry. She was uh, going with some friends and they were going to be out past curfew. She didn't call. She didn't say anything to mom and dad. She just came home about an hour and a half late after curfew. Mom and dad were up waiting. And they said, ah, oh, Rachel, bad choice. No more rope for you. Or whatever ropes is going to be is going to be tied around you. Months later, the... Rachel was in a situation where she was invited to a party where there would be adult beverages. She thought, oh, I want more rope. So she called her mom and said, Mom, there's a situation. I need you to come pick me up. And so she did. And as she got in the car, she praised her daughter Rachel and said, wonderful decision, wonderful decision, lots of rope for you. And she got it. We as parents need to balance how much rope we give our children, not too much, not too little, but always remembering that one day they will take the rope with them and we'll hope to have done our job to have helped them become wise. You can have a seat. Thanks, Austin. So help them be wise. Last one, teach and train your children by example. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. This is one you want to turn to, please. Now, this is one we usually think of, well, that's for the teenagers. Here he writes these words to the young Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. As parents, we realize all too quickly when that little two-year-old says a phrase that two-year-olds probably shouldn't be saying, And you look at each other and say, where did he hear that? Sneaking out at night, hanging out with all these bad two-year-olds? No, he heard it from you. You set the example in the language you use, in the jokes that you tell. You set the example in life, in your character, in how you deal with other people. Tyler and I were at Walmart one time, and the cashier gave me a nickel too much change. And I just said, I used it as a teaching moment. I said, Tyler, look, you know, here's how much we should have got back. How much did we get back? And I went back and took the nickel back. Was the nickel a big deal? Was there some accountant at Walmart, Inc., looking at, oh, we're missing a nickel? No, not at all. It was a training moment because they're learning from you. Set an example for them in how you love How do you treat your spouse? I guarantee you, they're going to treat their spouse how they see you treating your spouse. Is the only time you see they see you loving your spouse is when you have to on special occasions? Or is it all the time, day in and day out? Do they see your example in faith? Do they see that you have a relationship with God? Do they see you in his word? Do you pray with them? Do you talk with them about matters of faith? Or do you just drop them off at church, take them down to the teen wing and say, hope the youth minister is good. Hope they hired a good one. They're learning their faith from you. Number four, impurity. What kind of things are you watching on Netflix? 
What kind of things are you looking at on your computer? Don't think your children don't know. And I'm going to give you a sixth one that's not in the scripture, but I just want you to set an example for them of mercy and grace. Sometime they're going to be caught, they're going to be dead to rights. You have every right to punish them and you're mad and you need to show them an example of mercy because they'll remember that. Sometimes you need to give them something that they didn't deserve or earn because you need to show them grace. They learn from your influence. And finally, parents have always had one main job of training their children, but none of the training will happen unless you tell your children. Judges chapter 2, verse 10, if you want to turn there, we can read it together. It says, after that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who did not know the Lord, nor what he had done for Israel. And what does it say happened? Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because they didn't know any better. Their moms and dad hadn't told them about God, hadn't answered the question, hadn't gone through times of faith with them. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. You tell them, you remind them of what God has done in your life. This is what the psalm that was read for us says. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim of your wonderful deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing your righteousness. You should understand when they tell, when they show, when they live faith in front of their children, It is acted out in the next generation. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a verse that Rob read for us. A famous one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I want to focus just on verse 7. It says, impress these commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about the, the word. Live the word. Make the word the first part of your day and the last part of your night. Let them hear the word from you. Let them see it written on the mirrors of your bedrooms or on the the, uh, notes that you leave for them in their lunch bags. Write them as symbols. Let them see it. Let them hear it. Let them know it. I leave you with five questions to ponder and then we'll quit. Will your children have personal faith? At Northside's 115th anniversary, when all of the parents in here are either grandparents or assuming room temperature, will the children know? Will the children that stood up earlier be here or some place of worship? They will only have personal faith if they hear the word of God. Will your children have a relationship with God only if they see one modeled for them? Will your children love his word only if they see you loving it? Only if they hear it, only if they read it, only if they sing it, only if they draw it out, then they will love his word. Will, Will your children tell their children?
Well, you teens in the youth group, besides just being a Christian yourself, well, you have children who know the Lord. So you thought this sermon today wasn't about you, but it is. Soon enough, you'll be in that same position. After you're married, you will have the opportunity to raise up another generation. And that leads us to our last question, which is, will your children be in heaven? The most important question a parent could ask. Imagine for yourself, just close your eyes. Some of you are already there. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine the judgment day. Jesus has returned. Now, some of you are peeking. Jesus has returned. We're awaiting our final judgment. They happen to stand us in line that day according to our families. What is your thought at that moment as you stand there with your children and maybe your children's children? Will they be told, well done, good and faithful servant? Will you be told, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say to them or to you, depart, I never knew you. May we as parents and grandparents not forget our calling to train our children to know the Lord. Next week, we're going to talk to you and discuss the subject of calling all children, which is the way we're going to end the sermon today. To extend to you the invitation and extend to all God's children that if you do not know Christ, if you are not ready for the day that you imagined, to come forward and we'll tell you how to know Christ. We'll show you the scriptures And if you have any other need, maybe you're a parent who hasn't been doing their job and you need to repent. Maybe you're a child who's been making your parents' life very miserable. Maybe you need to repent. If you have any need, come. Our elders will meet you as together we stand and sing.